Hi, and welcome to Job Search the Smart Way, a podcast for graduate students and PhDs. If you're wondering what you can do with your degree, you're in the right place. You'll learn top tips and strategies you can apply to build an impactful career and meaningful life. Your host, Dr. Marin Wood, will share evidence-based research so that you can job search the smart way. Hello and welcome. I'm Dr. Marin Wood. Thank you so much for joining me. In this episode today, I want to talk about three mistakes I see graduate students and PhDs make when starting their non-academic job search. So this week, I had the opportunity to speak with a number of coaching clients, graduate students and PhDs, about challenges that they're having in their career transition and job search. And this is something that I do at Beyond Prof. You know, I get to work with graduate students and PhDs from all different academic disciplines who study and work at a whole variety of institutions, you know, through our free events and coaching program and in, and during on-campus workshops. Um, and what's interesting to me is despite the fact that these graduate students and PhDs that I work with have almost nothing in common other than being in graduate school or holding advanced degrees. They actually have very similar problems and challenges in their non-academic job search. So what this tells me as someone trained in cultural studies is that the challenges that graduate students and PhDs face are not just simply a matter of strategy. It's a matter of culture. PhDs, regardless of academic discipline or institution, are failing in their job search because they're making critical assumptions about professional work and job searching that are simply not true. And I see them operating with a shared system of knowledge or, you know, big T truths. And these big T truths, if you're trained in cultural studies, what you learn is that, you know, big T truths are seldom true. But there's there are these pillars of knowledge that nobody questions. And these pillars of knowledge knowledge exist, and, and we as humans sort of move through our culture or society alongside these pillars of truth. We move alongside them, we move through them, without really questioning why they're there or how they got there in the first place. And based on these assumptions that I'm going to talk about in a, mil- in a minute, PhDs and graduate students are just making really critical mistakes in their job search. And so what I want to, want to do today is interrogate these assumptions that academics have about professional work and non-academic job searching. Talk about the mistakes that PhDs make when they hold these pillars of truth that are, in fact, not true. And then give you some strategies that you can use to confront your own bias or your own reliance on these pillars of truth and to help you recognize how moving through or questioning or tearing down these pillars of truth and actually investigating professional work to really understand it for yourself will allow you to be more successful in your job search. You'll be able to apply strategies that will allow you to be successful instead of relying on assumptions that are setting you up to fail. So mistake number one is we think credentials matter. And of course, in academia, universities gift us these credentials and they insist on their importance. And I'm not knocking education. I think education is valuable, but an education is not the same thing as a credential. As my friend Omar has said before, you know, a degree is essentially a receipt for the thing you did. It's like, oh, you did these things. You, you know, you completed these tasks. You learned these things. You read these books. You wrote these papers. And now here's your receipt, sort of proof of payment. So education is not the same as proof of payment or of your receipt. 
But in academia, we have a whole world that is designed around these credentials. In order to get a job as an assistant professor in history, you have to have a PhD. It's the, it's the credential that is required. And then, you know, from there, they'll evaluate how good you are as a historian or a scientist or an anthropologist. And they have their whole range of criteria, which we'll talk about in a subsequent um, episode. But the point is, we have a whole system in academia that's designed around, you know, bachelor, master's, PhD, postdoc, and then additional credentials, assistant professors, associate professors, full professors. And if you talk to people who have BAs or MAs and work as staff in universities, they'll tell you that they're expected to refer to people of their own age or who are younger than them. If they have a PhD, they're to call them doctor. And so we have a whole world in academia that revolves around these credentials. And we are led to believe that our credentials matter. The second piece of this is that universities are structured entirely around academic disciplines, again, around this idea of the credential. So you have your history department and your chemistry department and your physics department, and the subject matter expertise that you have as a graduate student or as a faculty member becomes part of your identity. It becomes part of how you fit within the academic culture. And so, again, we assume then that what matters about the work we've been doing in the academy is the things that the academy tells us are important. And the academy says, your PhD is important, your master's is important, um, your credentials are important, and your subject matter expertise is important. But none of that is true outside of academia. Now, even if you're moving out of academia with a PhD in like a biological life science uh, discipline and you're moving into industry and maybe you're being able to take your academic expertise and immediately apply it within to an industry application. I mean, you're very rare if that's true, but even in those cases, the PhD will not be enough to get you a job. Outside of academia, people value your skills. They value what you do. Uh, they value what you know as well, but they value the way you can apply your knowledge. How is your knowledge a skill? And so the mistake that I see PhDs making is, first of all, they begin with, what can I do with my PhD in very narrow discipline? Because I, I, you know, you're attached to your subject matter expertise. And in most cases, the answer is not much. I did my PhD in early American gender and sexuality studies in the 18th century. Like literally no one's on LinkedIn hoping to stumble across a gender historian of early America. Um, And they're not going to hire me to work at their marketing agency. Like that's just not going to happen. And so we begin our job search with this, uh, with blinders on. We think the most important things about us are actually the things that no one will care that much about. What people will care about is what were the skills that you developed to become an expert in your field? Or if you have a subject matter expertise that is applicable in particular industries. So again, gender, I might have gone into, you know, HR and worked with people around issues surrounding gender equality within an organization. Well, now my subject matter expertise might have some relevance in a certain small way. But again, it will be my application of that knowledge within the company I'm working with or for that will matter most to employers. So if you're thinking and you're starting your job search with what can I do with my PhD, 
who will hire me because I have a PhD, or even assuming that people will hire you because of the PhD over people with bachelor's or master's degrees and five to 10 years of experience, well, you're setting yourself up for failure. People in the non-academic work space will care about what you can do and how you can apply your knowledge. So you need to set aside that assumption about credentials and subject matter expertise and begin to think about your application of skills. How did you develop skills? How did you apply those skills to to make deliverables within your graduate programming, your papers, your teaching, all of those things are essentially deliverable. So how did you apply your skills with success and how can you apply your skills with success in future careers or jobs? The second mistake I see PhDs making is they limit their job search to nonprofits. Academia is ripe with negative language and assumptions about industry business, corporations. These are all things that are assumed to be evil. You know, academia, it's run just like a business. That's something I hear all the time. And I want to say, well, hold up. Um, if businesses were running like academia, like they'd actually be out of employees. If, if people were being underpaid and overworked, they'd just leave. Um, and so that's one of the things you want to keep in mind is that, um, you know, a for-profit business is actually heavily motivated to keep its talent. They're very heavily motivated to keep people who will contribute, solve problems, be innovative, and help the organization succeed and grow. So the other piece of this that I want you to think about is, you know, just because something is a nonprofit doesn't make the work it does good. There are plenty of nonprofits out there. I'm going to use the NRA as an example that doesn't align with my personal values. I would never support it. I would never give it give it money, and I think it does evil in the world. But there are also small for-profit companies that I think are fantastic. You know, maybe I want to buy T-shirts from a local company in San Francisco, or I want to support my local coffee shop, or I want to support distilleries and small restaurants. There are so many really amazing technically for-profit companies that are trying to make an intervention in their society. They see a problem and they want to make a solution. Maybe it's to help people get access to better insurance. And so people are building apps. Maybe it's a commitment to the environment. And so people are developing green technology. You know, the list goes on. There are so many ways that you can make a difference. Nonprofit and for-profit are just tax statuses. They don't tell you anything about the nature of work who works there, or the impact that organization is actually having in society, on the environment, and in our world. And so if you're limiting yourself to just nonprofits because you assume that's the only place where goodness happens, it's the only place where people are mission-driven, then you're actually missing out on the vast majority of, of opportunities that are available to people with our skill set. Only one in 10 jobs in the private sector are in nonprofits. I'm going to say that again. Only one in 10 jobs are in the private sector are in nonprofits. This means that if you are exclusively focusing on nonprofit work, you're missing out on 90% of the opportunities where you could apply your skills, solve problems, make a difference, and make a paycheck. So challenge that assumption. And again, if you think about you know, these issues of systemic into the academy, the question you have to ask is who benefits from you believing that you can only work in nonprofits? Well, part of this goes back to what I talked about in the original episode, in the first episode of this podcast, which is you know, academia benefits from our belief that we cannot be happy working outside of academia. And so most institutions where we work are nonprofits. And so there's this, this benefit to academia 
not to individual people. Again, this is the idea behind these systems of, of knowledge and power. It's not one person, but academia as a system benefits from us believing that we have to work only in nonprofits when in fact you can make an incredible difference by going into for-profit companies and applying your skills with to solve problems and working alongside people who will share your values. Finally, the third mistake that I see PhDs making is that we heavily underestimate the level of expertise and knowledge that other professionals have in game. So you need to remember that your plan B, whether it's digital marketing or project management or even like research R&D or working in pharmaceuticals or sales or customer success, whatever it is, your plan B was someone else's plan A. And while you have been actively becoming an expert and applying your knowledge to earn your degrees or train as a postdoc, other people have been working for five to 10 years, becoming experts in their own field, and they're gaining linear work experience. Now, again, this comes from, I think, an academic culture that privileges in in classroom training, that there's something inherently better or good about learning within a classroom environment or learning within the structure of a university. But the truth is you can learn anywhere. You can learn through on-the-job training, through experience, through professional development, through self-study and learning. And people do that. You know, they leave, they leave uh, as undergraduates or with people with master's degrees, they go into the workforce and they become highly skilled, knowledgeable professionals in their own field. So what this means for you is that just because you have a PhD doesn't mean that that expertise is going to trump or be better than the expertise of someone with five to 10 years of work experience in that career field. This means that you might have to take additional training. You might have to spend time doing professional development. You might have to do an internship. I've seen lots of PhDs work contract work or go in entry level, and it's fine because it's not about your credential and it doesn't say anything about your worth as a person. It's just simply an acknowledgement that you have a lot to learn about a new industry. And so this requires that when we leave the academy, we have a certain level of humility. And I don't mean like hum- like imposter syndrome or groveling, what I mean is that you recognize that there are things that you don't know because you haven't been a digital marketer or you haven't been a data scientist or you haven't been a project manager, the way in which other people have been doing for the past five and 10 years. And so you want to approach this as an opportunity to learn, right? As a spirit of learning. And you want to approach this as, you know, this is really cool. I'm really excited to apply my skills and learn this new profession. How can I get experience? How can I gain knowledge in this work, this new professional career that I've identified for myself? So don't assume that the degree will trump experience because that the experience that other people have is their own form of knowledge and expertise that they have spent a similar amount of time and invested a lot of energy to become the experts in their professional career. So how do we avoid these mistakes? Well, whenever you set about challenging a fundamental belief, you need to begin by reflecting on why you think the things you do. Why do you have these assumptions and where do they originate? And I think oftentimes when when we look, certainly I looked when I was leaving academia, I had these assumptions too. And when I look back, it's like, well, I didn't have any evidence. It was something that people around me kind of said. It was an assumed truth that we shared. It was a value that we shared, but really it wasn't based on any evidence. 
Um, so you want to then, again, when you're thinking about how do you challenge something that's systemic is that you want to investigate, you want to investigate its origins, but you also want to think about solutions. And the more evidence you can gather that will help you shift your perspective and allow you to make more data-informed decisions about your career options. Now, sometimes when we evaluate evidence, we default to what is called confirmation bias, where we'll weigh information that confirms our bias as more true or more accurate than information that actually challenges our beliefs. So one of the things that you need to do is is to find information that actually directly challenges your assumptions and beliefs. And the way you do this, what I tell my coaching clients, is to talk to people. So if you believe that you can only be happy working in nonprofits, and when you reflect on that, you realize you have very little knowledge of what for-profit companies do, other than, you know, scary news stories about big corporations. Um, but, you know, you don't maybe know much about small to mid-sized companies or consulting or data science companies or digital marketing or whatever. So what you want to do is you want to challenge that assumption. So rather than only talking to people who work at nonprofits, which will only confirm your confirmation bias, you want to actually reach out and talk to people who work in for-profits of for-profit companies that sound interesting and ask them questions about what it is they do. What do they value about their work? What does their organization do? What is their contribution to society? And really challenge that assumption with evidence. If you're looking around and you're seeing that almost no jobs require a PhD, which is true, most jobs will only require a bachelor's or a master's degree, rather than assuming this means you can't apply to them or that people won't value your PhD or your training, talk to people in companies of interest who have jobs that sound cool and find out more about the credentials or the expertise that they're looking for. Find out what employers actually value. And what you'll discover is that what they'll val- what what employers will value are the skills many of which you already have skills you've developed while earning your degree finally think about what academia gains if you buy into these myths or these big t truths You'll have much more difficulty finding non-academic work. It'll be much more difficult for you to leave. And when you people, PhDs, I see this all the time, when PhDs fail to successfully make a career transition, they default to poorly paid contingent positions within academia. And academia benefits from that labor, from that labor of highly skilled people who accept poor wages when they could actually move and do something that's equally interesting, equally rewarding, but actually far more financially rewarding, better remuneration, pardon me, better remuneration. That's a hard word to say at the end of a podcast. So I just want to leave you with this. Challenge your assumptions with evidence. You know how to do this because you're a scholar. You know how to find assumptions and then look at those assumptions, interrogate them and find evidence that either supports them or, you know, destroys them. And that's what I want you to do. I want you to reflect on these myths that you have, and I want you to find evidence to challenge them so that you can move forward in your job search, making evidence-based decisions about your career and not relying on these big T truths that permeate academic culture. We appreciate you joining us for this episode of Job Search the Smart Way, a podcast for graduate students and PhDs. For more resources to help you launch your next great career, be sure to visit beyondprof.com and sign up for our free events. And remember, smart people work everywhere.